morning, everybody. I uh, hope you've had a good week. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Ate too much like I did. Sorry I missed you guys uh, or missed the video last week. Uh, John Richardson gave me the privilege of preaching in Texas and had a great time doing that in front of a live audience. So it's a bit weird being back in front of the camera, but here we go. And uh, anyway, uh, I'd love for you guys to come tonight. We want you to come hang out. Be a Sorry, there's a bug flying around and so if you see me swatted something i'm going after a bug so <laughs> it's unedited right here you're getting the live content so if i swing at something it's a bug anyway uh love for you guys to come be a part of what we do when we hang out when we have church on sunday nights we had it last week even though there was no video we still gathered we're going to gather that's the way it is so we gather at 6 30 on sunday nights love for you to come hang out you can hit us up online to find out how you can Hit us up on social media, you can email, do, hit the website, whatever you want to do, and we'll tell you how to find us, and you can come hang out and be a great to have you. So um, we've been working through a uh, series here on Is God Among Us, and today we're going to look along those lines at when we question him. Is God among us when we question him? Not one of us, but among us when we question him been looking at Abraham. We're going to continue with that. And our theme verse has been Revelation 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So awesome verse. That's just running theme through all of it. But today I'm going to read Genesis 18, verse 27, and then we're going to jump in here. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Lord, I love you. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. God, I pray you uh, help us be able to understand your word, to follow through what it is you're saying to us today. And Lord, that you would help us to be faithful in our prayers. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You ever know a guy who thinks he's so good with the ladies, like he's all, like the ladies love him, he's got it figured out. He claims his girlfriend never argues with him about a thing. She's always doing whatever he wants. She agrees to everything he says. She only wants to make him happy. Now, if you know this guy, and there ain't no, there's no specific guy, but you know what I'm saying. If you know this type guy, you probably already know the scenario. Most likely this girl is afraid. And she's probably afraid of... You know, maybe him hurting her or something like that. But it's possible that she's also just afraid of being alone. She's afraid he'll leave her. So as a result, she has no confidence that he wants to actually hear anything that she says. And she, her thoughts or her feelings maybe are not important to him, she thinks, uh, or that he's going to leave if she objects to something. In a similar vein, maybe you've met or worked with somebody who can't handle pushback. They're present with you, they're walking with you, they're on the team, they're on, they're, they're together, right up to the point that you suggest something that might be contrary to what they're doing, and all of a sudden they're out, it's over. Um, is this how we think God works? Is that how God works? Is that the way He operates? For, first of all, does He desire to be present with us? Is He among us? Does He desire that? Um, maybe even physically. Is that a sin to say? Is that heresies? You know, we've been talking about it, so hopefully you don't think so now. But let's take it a step further now and say, well, if it's not, is it okay to question him? 
is it okay to question him? Now, is that a sin? Now we went too far. Whoa, man, we we got to back back off of that. If we question him, he's, is he going to leave and go on, go away? So today, as we look at this, you're going to see Abraham recognizes God when God comes to him. He recognizes him, and he invites him to stay. And then when he questions some of God's decisions, you're going to look at this. It reveals Abraham's own identity in God's plan. That's a beautiful picture that you'll see illustrated in this text. So for us, I think, when we recognize God's presence, when we see his presence among us, or we recognize that, and we seek to spend time with him, our questions will open a door for deeper prayer. Our questions open a door for deeper prayer, and they may also reveal more about who we are in God's master plan. All right? That's what we're going to see today. So is God among us when we question him? And I've kind of got it busted up three ways. You know, I like to do that. So uh, the first one here is there's no question about who he is for Abraham. Abraham knows who he is, clearly. There's no question about that. For us, there needs to be no question about who he is. And then the questions we do have, though, will promote prayer. When we The questions we do bring, when we know who he is, they promote prayer. And then finally, our questions may reveal who we really are in God's plan. Our, our, our questions for him might actually reveal who we are. So let's begin it where it all starts, which is on no question about who he is. So look at verse 1 of chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abram by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted his eyes up and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant by. Now, this is God, and I'm going to show you why here in a second. But I'll go on and tell you, how many times do we look for God but miss the fact that he might be standing right in front of us? See this? Abraham is sitting there, and Abraham sees these men approach, and they're all but right on top of him. And then he sees them, and he runs over to them, and he calls one of them Lord. A lot of times I feel like God is coming right past us and we don't even, we're looking over here for him. We're looking over here for him. He's right in front of us. But what I love here is Abram's first words to him. His first prayer, that's talking to God, his prayer. So the prayer he says here, it begins with, do not pass me by. What a great prayer. Oh Lord, do not pass me by. Maybe you're thinking, I know it says three men, okay, so... And, and Lord is not all caps. That's not the name of God. That's just a title for like a, an authority figure. So where in the world am I getting that it's God? And how does Abraham know it if he only sees three men walk up? Well, I'm going to show you. Let's back up to Genesis chapter 12 where we stopped last time. And I'm going to walk through. I'm going to skip. There's a lot of good stuff in here. I'm not looking for all that. I just want you to see how God continue, or Abraham continues to see and interact with God All right, in, as we move through the thread back to chapter 18. So go back to chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to God. Now this is when Abram had come from Ur of the Chaldees following God's call to Canaan. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared. We already talked about this. Appeared. He saw him. Happened twice. After that, Abram takes his fam to Egypt and he gets into a pretty nasty situation there. And then he returns back to the land. Okay. And then in Genesis 13, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. 
He journeyed from the Negev, which is in the south, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and I, verse 4, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So he calls on the name of God, that the person of God whom he had been following. Uh, then in that moment, Abraham splits up with Lot because they have too much stuff. Lot's his nephew. Lot takes his crew and his stuff, and he goes to Sodom. And then God turns and addresses Abraham, like in verse 14. The Lord said, so now the Lord's speaking. Is he standing there? Is he present? I don't know, but he's talking. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look at this place from where you are. Verse 17, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. The oaks of Mamre, basically the oaks are a forest, obviously, oaks, oak trees. Uh, Mamre is a man, an Amorite man, chapter 14 tells you that. But he says there at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So he builds another altar. Then he has these uh, fights with these Canaanite kings. There's some wars that break out that he gets sucked into because of Lot. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, this is cool because the word is something you say, a word. Vision is something you see. So a word came in a vision. In fact, it's not a word. It is the word. I believe this is a title of God that God came to Abram. But it's the word. If I say Abraham and Abram, I may mess those up. You know, they're the same name. God's going to change his name. You'll see that in a minute. But after these things, I look at it this way. The word of the Lord walked to Abram. He came to Abram. It's a person. It is an identity of God in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he, the word, verse 5, he, the word, brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. So see the picture now? He is walking him outside. It's a, it's a person there. It is the word of the Lord. Look toward heaven and number the stars, be able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. There it is, Yahweh Jehovah, and he counted it as righteousness. So the word here is Yahweh Jehovah. Verse 7, and he, the word, said, I am the Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land. I believe this is the word that John had in his mind when he said in chapter 1 of his own gospel, in the beginning the word was with God and the word was God. When he said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who this is, I believe. Then God makes a covenant with Abram to give him the land. Uh, and then Abram plots with Sarah to help God out here by saying, hey, Abram, sleep with our handmaid Hagar, and you know maybe she'll have a kid for us, and that's how we're going to do this thing. And Hagar gets pregnant, and then Sarah flips, Sarah flips out and gets all violent and crazy on her when she actually does get pregnant, and so Hagar bolts, all right? And then I'm going to, this is more about Hagar than about uh, Abram here, but it's, it, there's a reason for it. Look in chapter 16, verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. So we had the word of the Lord. 
Now we have the angel of the Lord. This is not an angel. This is the angel. I'm pointing it out because you're going to see this character again. We're going to look at it another time, several other times. This is a, another name for God, for his presence. The angel of the Lord. You'll see why. Found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, watch, I will surely multiply your offspring. Not God will. I will. Because he is God. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar then Gave birth to Ishmael. And undoubtedly, Hagar tells Abram about all of this. But then she gives birth to Ishmael. Then in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared. He saw him, appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Plain black and white says, I, I will make your, you into a great nation. Um, and then he changes their names. Uh, from to Abraham and Sarah, and then again promises Sarah that she's going to be the one to give birth to the promised son, not Hagar. And then look at verse 22, the way it ends. When he had finished talking, he went, or when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. What do you imagine that looks like? When God had finished talking to him, he went up from him. So, when chapter 18 comes and three men approach, it's no surprise that Abram recognizes one of them as the Lord. He's a man, but he's also the Lord. He's there physically. He is a man. How do we know that he's a man, he's there, and he's God? Well, let's look in chapter 18 to see that. And I'm going to skim, through, skim across 18 just to make this point, but then we're going to come back and look in depth at more of 18 here. But let me show you this. Verse 8, then he took curds, Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They ate. These three men eat. They are men. They are eating food. This is wild. Verse 9, they said, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Look at verse 10. The Lord Jehovah said, I will surely return to you. In verse 14, he says it again, I will return to you. So the person present, one of them is saying, I will come back. And we're being told that person is the Lord. Look at verse 22. So the men turned from there and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. So the idea here is two men go on, but Abraham stays and talks to the Lord who remains behind. You don't keep reading. You think I'm crazy? Verse 33. And the Lord, when it's all done, when the conversation's done, it says, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. God went one way, Abraham went the other. And if that's not enough, the next verse seals it. Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom. That tells you crystal clear there are two angels and one God. Present as three men. It's wild. So my first question would be just like with Abraham. Do you know him? Would you know him 
if you if you if he was present would you know him and i don't mean that you you see a man and you go oh that's god that's not what i'm saying i mean you have felt his presence before you've experienced his presence before so you know when he's present now we say i feel the presence of the holy spirit whatever you want to call it you know he's present you know he's listening you know he's here um does that happen for you and if so i would say rather than hurrying up to ask him for all the things you want when you sense his presence saying the holy spirit's so heavy in this place and starting to say god i want this or god i need that or god you owe me this or claiming that or whatever else maybe start by saying lord don't pass me by stay let me serve you. That's what Abraham did. Let He served him food. Let me serve you, Lord. When his presence fills this place, maybe that's the time to say, I want to serve you right now. Don't go. Stay. So let's keep looking at this. There's no question about who he is. But then the questions that Abraham does have, it promotes prayer because he brings them to him. And I'm going to pop this back out of order uh, for the moment, and you'll see why. But in Genesis 18, verse 22 is where I'm going. Questions promote prayer here. So the men turned from there, and they went to, towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, that's prayer. That's a leaning into God and saying, oh, Lord. I mean, that's that's prayer. He says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? It's basically questioning God's plan here. Are you really going to do this? You're going to you're going to kill the righteous and the. He says, verse twenty four. Suppose there's fifty righteous within the city. We then sweep away the whole place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing. He's recognizing God's character here. He's reminding God of His character here. That God knows it. But I love that Abraham is pulling on God's own character here. And he says, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare just like the wicked? Far be it from you. Man, he's getting strong, right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Great verse to hang on to when you can't figure out what's going on. But note Abraham's Abraham's posture here. He's not afraid. It's not shame here. In fact, he, he's sharing a meal with them. He's taking a walk with God. He's talking with God. And now the conversation has ultimately turned into him questioning God a bit, respectfully, but questioning him. Look at verse 26. The Lord said, if I find 50, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. What kind of mercy? God is just, but also so merciful, so much grace that he would spare the whole place. If there's 10,000 people in that city, he'll spare 10,000 over 50. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. What a great statement. What humility to say, I'm just dust, but I'm going to speak to you. I'm just, I'm just dirt down here, but I am going to speak to you with this. Man, he says, suppose there's 45, suppose there's 40. Verse 30, he says, Lord, let not the Lord be angry and I'm going to speak. Oh, he's saying, Lord, don't get angry, but I got to push a little more. Got to push a little more. He says, suppose there's 30. God says, I'll spare it for 30. And he says, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. 
Suppose there's 20. He just keeps taking that heart as he goes down. And then he says, oh, Lord, let not, let not the Lord be angry. And I'll speak again, but this once. Don't, don't get angry. Don't get angry, please. But one more time. And he pushes him all the way down to 10 in verse 32. Is it wrong to question God? Is, is Abraham wrong here? Is he messed up? Is he wrong? Is what he's doing wrong? How does God respond to him? Oh, Abraham, curse you for your insolence and your insubordinate. No, he says, he answers him. In fact, he honors his questions. Abraham is casting his cares on God. He is begging in a sense here. He's not bargaining. He's not saying, if you will, then I will. He's not doing that. He's being completely humble. He's being completely respectful. But he's also being honest. And he's telling God what's on his heart. He's telling God where his struggle is. He's calling on God's character. He's saying, God, you are a just God. And he's pleading for that just nature. But he's also seeking that mercy and that grace from God. The beauty of prayer, guys, is that it opens a door for us to talk to God. It opens a door for us to talk to him. And the cool thing is that God wants that. God seeks that. Let that sit on you a minute. Let that sit on you a minute. Remember, God came to Abraham. God came to him. Obviously, he didn't have to. He could have gone right on to Sodom. We'll come back to that in a second. But God came to him. And when Abraham asked him to stay, he did. I love Deuteronomy 4, 7. It says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. The idea is that when we call out to God, he puts down what he's doing and he leans in and says, I'm listening. I mean, what a powerful statement. What a powerful visual that is. But I'll tell you what, what do we do with that opportunity? You ever been around somebody uh, that always argues with you they always disagree with you every time no matter what you say they always take the opposite uh and disagree or maybe you've been around the opposite of that the person who always agrees with you never disagrees about anything is always on the same page always disagree agrees with you about everything neither one of those situations is real pleasant neither one of those people are a lot of fun to be around why because they're not being honest They're not being honest. They're not being genuine. What God wants is a heart that is genuine, a heart that will express frustration, remain humble and respectful, but also be honest and say, I don't get it. Why? What's going on? I don't agree. I don't understand. Help me see. Don't you want that too? Don't you want that? That's the same kind of conversation you want. Don't you want people to be honest with you? God has come to us. God has opened the doors for our prayers. And we need to be genuine with them and tell him. In fact, he tells us to. 1 Peter 5, 7. You know the verse probably. Cast your anxieties or cares upon him for he cares for you. And then I would say be persistent. Look at Abraham. He is being persistent in his prayer. In his prayer. Do you, look. Do you think it's not your place to be persistent? Like, I just need to say it and drop it. Do you care about it enough to be persistent? Whatever it is. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples, they asked him to teach them how to pray. And he gave the famous passage, Our Father who art in heaven. But Luke records how he goes on and he tells an illustrative story. 
uh, to help them understand more about it. And he tells the story of a friend who pounds down the door of his friend after midnight because he needs help one night. And verse 8 of Luke 11, in that story, Jesus says, I tell you, though this friend will not get up and give him anything because he is just his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask. That's a present active verb. It means it's something you are doing presently, actively doing at that. So in other words, it's like saying, and I tell you, be asking. And it will be given to you. Seek, same thing. Be seeking, and you will find. Knock, be knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. I mean, that's the idea of persistence. And Jesus is telling us to be. But don't mistake this moment with Abraham here as though God needs Abraham to watch over him. You know, uh, about it's not about getting God to change his mind. And I know there's a lot of discussion about that. We can have it, but I'm not going to go into it all now. I will give you a couple of reasons why that's a bad idea, though. For one, changing God's mind implies that God's decision was a mistake. And thank God, thank good. Well, you can't thank God because he made a mistake. Thank goodness, whatever, that Abraham caught him before he messed up, you know. Whatever God was planning was a mistake, and man, good for Abraham that he was there to straighten him out. Uh, or you could say the same for us. Basically, it puts our perspective, our point of view above his, and we don't need that to happen because we don't see what he sees. For instance, suppose I got God to change his mind about rain because I had a couple, I had a three day event going on. I didn't want any rain to mess it up. Well, what about the faithful farmer who's praying desperately for rain because his crops are dying? It's not about changing God's mind. It's about the prayer itself. It's about spending time with him personally. It's about being honest with him, telling him how you feel, questioning if you need to. It's about sharing your heart with him, casting your cares on him, asking him why and how and all of those things. But also reminding him of his character because guess what? It's reminding you of his character when you remind him. And then you start learning to listen and you learn to trust and you start realizing he's changing your mind. And then you start recognizing that the God of all creation will do what is just. And I need to change to where he is even when it's difficult to see. Tara Wood, she's married now, so her name's changed. But Tara Wood's a good friend of mine and, and Molly's as well. And uh, some years ago, she lost her husband to a sudden heart attack. Her husband was a pastor on staff with me in another church in the past. And uh, obviously, she was devastated and crushed. And when she felt better, uh, or well, when she reached the point where she felt comfortable talking about it a little more, she was speaking to a women's group, and she made a statement that I will never forget. It was so good. She said that her attitude with God was, I trust you, but I don't like the plan. That, that's, that's it right there. When you bring those questions and you say, look, I, I, don't, I don't like the plan here. I don't get it, but I trust you. But I trust you. Ultimately, you find the change comes in you. 
So there's no question about who he is if we're believers. There should be no question. Our, our questions, though, will promote prayer. And then those questions are likely going to reveal or they may reveal who we are in his plan. Look, That's what happens with Abraham. Look at verse 16 quickly. I'll finish up. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. Now I backed up here because I told you I'm jumping back and I'm going to show you this is what led to the questions and the conversation and the prayer time that Abraham had. Um, and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now that's an interesting statement really quick on a side note. Who's God talking to? I think there's a cool picture of the Trinity here, in my opinion. But maybe this I envision the Son being present there with Abram, Abraham and He's speaking to the Father. Shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? I know they're the same. It's wild. It's the Trinity, you know. Either way, there's a conversation God is having with himself here in some way. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. So there's a reason why he's bringing this to Abraham's attention. He's going to become great. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him. Purpose in God's plan. That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, so now he turns to Abraham. And he says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. There it is. There's a plan for Abraham. And in doing, and because of that plan, God brought to to his attention what he was going to do. And Abraham begins to pray about it. Now, a little side note. How many were righteous in Sodom? The whole argument and discussion here. How many were righteous? Zero. Zero. It's the same amount that are righteous in America and anywhere else. The Bible says none is righteous, none. They've all sinned. So it was a bit of a loaded question to begin with here. Um, I know a lot, lot was there. But the, go look at the story. The angels had to drag him out. He was no hero here. And... Either way, Lot was saved by grace, not because he was perfect by any means. So what happens with Abram's prayer, though? I mean, this whole prayer and everything that's going on is awesome. This is the kicker to the whole thing here in a sense, that Abraham didn't just challenge God outright out of nowhere. God was actually giving Abraham an opportunity. God brought this opportunity to Abraham to engage in prayer on behalf of others. It was God who said, shall I hide from him what I'm going to do since he's going to become great? It was God that did that. What, what's the point? God is training time for Abraham. That's what this is. It was an opportunity for Abraham to display character before being entrusted with such a huge responsibility. Could it be that God has brought something to your mind that's causing you all kinds of questions or he's brought this situation on top of you that is generating all kinds of questions that you have for God, take them to him. 
take them to him. It could be that the situation you're in is something he brought upon you in order to prepare you for some plan he has for your life. Go to him with the questions. Look what Abraham's doing here. Abraham is interceding. He is standing in the way and praying to God, standing in the way of God's wrath and praying on behalf of a people. Who? What people? We get so focused on Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin that occurs there that we skip right over the fact that God brought this matter to Abraham and Abraham is now pleading for sinful people. This wicked city Abraham is begging God for. I know Lot's there, but he's begging for the whole city. How often do we threaten people with Sodom and Gomorrah rather than intercede for them? You know, First Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote this. I'll close up here. He said, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. If you're a believer, do you pray like this? Is this how you pray? How we're talking? Do you seek more time with God? Or would you be content if he just walked right on by? Do you ask questions? Do you expect him to respond to your questions? You know, are your questions about you or are they about others? How often are they about the lost? How often are your questions, your pleading, how often is it for the wicked that you don't even know? Can you accept that you might actually be learning something from God? That God might actually be teaching you something? Not just about getting a yes or no from a genie here. It's about spending time with him in order that he might teach you something. Prepping you for his plan. We should have no question about who he is, guys. If you're a believer, you should have no question. All of our questions should be uh, starting from the realization that he's Lord, he's in charge, he's sovereign. That's where it starts. But then our questions do promote prayer, so we want to bring them to God. And we get drawn into a conversation with him, expecting to hear from him. And then they result in a recognition that he is just and his character is divine. He is just and he will do what is right. And that even in our prayers, we start to be drawn towards his plan. We start to see what our lives might be like in his plan. He's maturing us in that direction. Maybe uh, maybe that's not you though. Maybe you feel like God doesn't hear a thing you say. Maybe you feel like God's deaf. He doesn't listen to you at all. Or your prayers never get past the ceiling. Or he would just soon you be dead anyway. Um, if he were to walk by, he would pass right on by like you were just dirt in the ground. Then maybe you feel that way. I can tell you right now that's not true. He de- I just read it. He desires for all people to be saved. That means you too. That means you too. I can promise you that he loves you. I can promise you that he wants to sit down and share a meal with you. I can promise you that he wants to talk to you, that he wants to walk with you, that he wants to hear your concerns. He wants to hear your worries. 
He wants to listen, but it all starts with something. It all starts with, Lord, don't pass me by. Lord, stop, stay. Lord, let me serve you. Tell him, confess it, man. I'm a sinner. I know it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I failed. Stop trying, guys. Just let him, let him have it. Say, I'm done. I quit. I'm done. You can have me. I, I be, Jesus, I believe you. I believe in who you are. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I trust that that covers my righteousness. I believe that you came out of a grave. I trust that you will raise me from the grave. Give, give him that. Let him have it. And then look, let us know. Send us a, a shout and tell us. We want to pray for you. We want to help you find the opportunity to become a disciple uh, who makes disciples. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It is so amazing. Thank you for the opportunity to be in it. Thank you for the opportunity to share it. Lord, I pray that you help us pray. Help us pray honestly. Help us be um, close to you. Help us sense your presence when you're close to us. And Lord, help us listen and learn where you have us in your plan. Help us, Lord, to be brokenhearted for the lost. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.